As I stand before you this morning, we certainly are blessed with a very, very good attendance, how exciting it is in so many respects. It certainly is true that we have a number of visitors today, along with our membership at Pippin. We're so honored and thankful for each and every individual that has chosen this Lord's Day morning to assemble for this purpose. As you notice, of course, by the songs that Jonathan just led us in, the theme of all of them, he probably will make this note to us later, but the theme has surrounded the topic and the marvelous matter of the resurrection of our Master, the resurrection of Christ Jesus, our Lord. In fact, today I would invite you to consider a lesson that has that very topic, the title I've devoted to it, The Resurrection of Jesus. Paul began the first Corinthian letter, verse, chapter 15, beginning in verse number 1. He said, Moreover, brethren... I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. He immediately made observation of the fact they had received that gospel, and in that they stood. But he goes on to say, by which also you're saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Immediately with that first thought, we notice an emphasis upon their faithful belief in and givenness to that which Paul had preached. And then he identified in the next two verses, verses 3 and 4, their observation, their reception of it, Christ Jesus, He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul placed the central thrust and meaning of all that the gospel is upon the fact of Christ's death and burial and resurrection. Everything else emanates from those central truths. This morning, as we reflect for the next few moments on the resurrection, I would ask that you consider really just three main thoughts this morning in the lesson. But why don't we begin this way? You and I know at the bottom of that slide that this is perhaps that particular Sunday of the year when there is more reflection on and more emphasis of the resurrection of Christ than any other so-called Easter Sunday. I might invite you to consider, though, that those that are faithful to the Lord will give their attention to those truths of the gospel, not just one Sunday a year. They, in fact, look forward to the celebration of His death with the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day. And not only that, in that same attribute of the Lord's Supper, we do remember until He comes again the attributes and features surrounding it, 1 Corinthians 15, 26. Surely, in light of those things, it does help us see that what a privilege it is to be a Christian and to be able to reflect upon the victory of that precious Sunday morning, the resurrection of Christ. I would submit to you that seemingly the very first issue then, why don't we embed in our hearts immediately this feature, the fact of the resurrection. I suppose it's a tendency of any person of the human family at large, to question or doubt what we do not see. Many of us like to have the same mentality that Thomas had, unless I see it, I'll not believe it. You may remember the Lord promised though and pronounced upon Thomas, Thomas, you've seen it. That was of course in relation to the nail prints in his hands and in his side. The features of course of where the Roman soldier had thrust his spear into the side of our master. But then Jesus went on to say, Blessed are those who believe but have not seen. Today you and I stand 20 centuries this side of the events of which we read in the early part of the New Testament. 
Those include the nature of that resurrection. So many years from it, there have been through the centuries so many that have called the resurrection into question. They have asserted any number of things. Did the apostle steal his body and then bring about a claim that he was resurrected, though he never really was? There are others who asserted, did Jesus bring the greatest hoax upon the entire human family by knowing he full will would never be resurrected? There have been scholars and other individuals through the centuries that basically have asserted that what the Bible proclaims about Jesus raising never really happened. And if we aren't careful, maybe, we can allow ourselves to at least be impacted by such thinking. Why don't we at least spend these first few parts of the lesson looking at the fact of the resurrection, an absolute indisputable fact. Let's develop it like this, if you would. First, the word resurrection itself. It comes from an original term that literally had to do with a raising up. And it came with a special emphasis to be used with respect to a raising from the dead. One who in fact raised from the dead was said to be resurrected. In light of the concept of that resurrection, look at some of the ways. And let me say, some. We wouldn't have the opportunity in the time allotted to us to look at all of them. But here are a few verses, and I hope that we each can allow them to challenge us to ever be in harmony with the fact of the resurrection. Acts chapter number 2 is where I would invite you to begin with me. The scene was truly a monumental one. Peter and the others stood up that blessed day and they began to preach the marvelous message of Jesus Christ. I would call to your attention specifically those features beginning in verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, which ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Pause for just a moment and note this. Peter, in a rather notable consideration of boldness, stood before them and said, You have seen him. In the sense that you witnessed him, you were in presence while you watched him do miracles, he directly brings them into the realization this was not an individual that they'd never seen, never heard of. Jesus was someone that, of whom they were not only well aware, but he said they had witnessed his miracles, and the various things He had done. But then He went on to say in verse 24, Him God hath raised up, because it was not possible that the bands of death should loose Him or hold Him. In addition to affirming that they had put Him to death, and in addition to affirming that they had been witnesses, He directly said, God has raised Him up. And over in verse number 30 of the same chapter, again, Peter said, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof all of us are witnesses. I would ask you to ponder something. The Lord Jesus Christ had only been crucified 52 days previous to that sermon. 52 days. That's not even a month and a half. The same Jews that were present to celebrate the Pentecost had been there 52 days earlier to celebrate the Passover. If Christ had not been resurrected, if what Peter had said twice in that sermon, God's raised him up, 
If that had not really happened, don't you think some number of them could have stood up and said, Peter, that isn't true. Let me take you to where the body is. I'll show you hadn't been resurrected. And not a single person said that. Why? Because what Peter said was true. Jesus had been resurrected. He had been killed. He had been buried. He had been resurrected. Not a single person in answer to Peter's sermon could offer the evidence against what he had said. But remember, the same people that were there then had been there earlier, and the same ones who should have had opportunity to do so could have levied the evidence. There was no evidence. Jesus was resurrected. Notice again, Peter had commented, we're witnesses of it. Notice also beyond that appreciation, look at some of these other scenes. This had been prophesied in the Old Testament. In the 16th Psalm, a thousand years earlier, the prophet David, as he had voiced and spoken the great matters of these things, he prophesied that he'd be resurrected. And those are the same words, interestingly enough, that Peter quoted on this occasion and applied them to the resurrection of Christ. Not only the fulfillment of prophecy... Picture that very compelling scene of Acts 26 for just a moment. Here was a different gentleman, Paul in this case. He had been hauled before various tribunals and various authorities and he stood before Agrippa. We might never forget, I suppose, that Festus was also present. Two of the leading officials of that particular territory in the ancient Roman Empire. Both Agrippa and Festus were present. Paul was given the opportunity to speak for himself before these two authorities. And as he did, he spoke about the resurrection. And he stated it as an absolute fact. Paul had not the slightest question or doubt about the fact Jesus had been raised. In fact, you and I remember on the road to Damascus, Paul had had conversation with his risen master. One more time, we notice whether it be Acts chapter 2, whether it be Acts chapter 26... The resurrection is a fact. It's a sad thing when the human family then questions or doubts this as one of the greatest events in all of history, the raising of Jesus. However, the New Testament has much more to say. Romans 1 verse 4, the Apostle Paul in writing to the church at Rome would absolutely say that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection from the dead. Did you notice it wasn't by His death nor His burial, but the special focus for the moment, He was declared to be the Messiah, the Son of God, by His resurrection. Think today about the consequences of if the resurrection had never been. As you begin to develop those thoughts in your mind, we're going to at least ask a bit about them in just a moment. But to build up to it, note this. In the first... Corinthian letter, chapter 15. You might remember we had noted the first four verses a minute ago. Look at verses 5 through 8 if you still have your Bible open to that location. After making mention of the Jesus' resurrection, Paul then quickly identifies some evidences and he says, a number of individuals saw the risen Jesus. He even lists them. There was Peter... There was other of the apostles, 500 brethren at once, James, and then he even includes himself. Think about that many witnesses to an event. Today, 
when a particular scene or a matter unfolds and you can get one witness, one uncontrovertible witness, you often consider that a great victory. Look at the number of witnesses to the Jesus' resurrection. They saw Him. They saw Him. Today, may we never allow ourselves to doubt or question. And I realize there's certainly a tendency to allow that thought to creep into our mind. Every one of us on many occasions have visited funeral homes. We've watched loved ones' bodies placed in the heart of the earth. We've watched dirt be covered over them. And we readily appreciate the fact that's the last time in the flesh I'll ever see him or her. Last time he or she will ever see me as well. And we seem to think that's the end of it. May we never forget that with regard to Christ, on that Thursday He was put in the tomb. And Sunday morning the tomb was empty. Come Sunday morning when the ladies, the women came to the tomb, His body was not there. He was resurrected. He had been raised to life. The thought of that resurrection is so prompting. Doesn't it fill your heart with hope? Doesn't it fill you with encouragement? To know that the very blessing that He enjoyed will lead us to the next part of the lesson today. As you close that slide with me, you probably noticed in the text of Philippians chapter 3 that was read in our hearing just a minute ago. In verses 10 and 11 of that chapter, Paul could say that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Paul, even though an apostle he was, he still lived beneath the urgency that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Do you and I know today the power of His resurrection? I realize you and I, at least after the first part of this lesson, should accept it as a fact, but there's such power within it. There is really genuine power in the thought of that resurrection. What power? Second part in our lesson this morning. I would ask you to think about for just a moment the host of blessings that directly are consequences of His resurrection. And I don't mean blessings for Him. I mean blessings for you and me. Blessings that you and I enjoy or can enjoy that are directly attached to His resurrection. Meaning that if He hadn't been resurrected, we wouldn't have the blessings. There would be no opportunity, no access to them. Notice how Paul begins... He reasons at length with the Corinthian brethren. Beginning in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, he invites them to consider this truth. If Jesus was not resurrected, your faith is vain. Isn't that remarkable? If Jesus wasn't resurrected, the faith that the Corinthians had at that particular moment in time was useless. It was empty. It was vain. Lest you and I roll forward several centuries in time and come to our circumstances today. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, there is no reason for us to be here. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, what about any hope you and I can entertain of a life after this one? If the Lord wasn't resurrected, what confidence can we have of anything else contained in that book? Remember, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, the core truth of the resurrection was one of the central matters related to His death and His burial that was the fundamental truth of the, of the gospel. Without the resurrection, we can have no confidence He was the Son of God. 
because he had predicted he'd be raised. Let me ask you to appreciate then some blessings that come from this. I've used the word hope to describe the next point. If you're in that 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I'd like you to begin noticing verses 19 and following. Verse 19 has been a passage that no doubt has been a great word of encouragement and really a tremendous statement of assertion to so many of us. It reads like this. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Isn't that exactly what we just noted a minute ago? You and I could assemble in the name of a particular religious figure. We could undergo various activities and call it worship. We can enjoy fellowship and social considerations one with the other. But Paul said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And really that word miserable means to be pitied. If our confidence and our hope in Christ does not carry us beyond death and beyond the grave, our hope is futile. It is so powerless. With that thought in mind, look at how Paul develops the next few thoughts. Verse number 20. You may notice it begins with a little three-letter word, but. So often reminding us a contrast to what's been asserted before. Paul said... If our hope in Christ doesn't go beyond the grave, notice he said you're to be pitied. Next verse, but. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And there's where that particular phraseology comes. The word first fruits. That word literally means the first in a set of something. There may be many involved in it, but the very first one is recognized by the word first fruits. Paul now notices in verse number 20, Christ is risen from the dead, and Christ is become the first fruits. You'll notice in that prescription, we find this lovely consideration. Namely, Christ was the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. Meaning that though he had suffered death through the pangs of crucifixion, he suffered. We notice though he rose from the dead. And he rose to eternal life in the sense never to die again. You and I can think of other individuals in the Bible like Lazarus. He died, Christ raised him, but he died again. And we remember the widow of Nain's son. Jesus raised him from the dead, but he died again. And we remember J. Iris' daughter, Jesus, brought her back to life. Her spirit returned to her. He brought her back to life, but she died again. Jesus was resurrected to life, never to die again. And then Paul goes on to say, verse 21, For since by man came death, by men came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he hath put all things, all enemies under his feet. 
the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Christ, the first fruits. And you and I know that the integrity of the great hope that Christians can have is centered in passages like that one. I mentioned earlier about attending funeral homes and going to places and the tears stream down our faces as we put the bodies of our loved ones into the heart of the earth. But yet as Christians, we know very, very well that Christ was the first fruits and then He says all are going to be resurrected because He was. Because He was, we shall be. And His resurrection serves as a guarantee of yours and mine. He wasn't talking on that occasion about the spiritual regeneration we enjoy in baptism. He was looking to that moment and event on that great morning of resurrection when all that are in the grace shall hear His voice and come forth, they that have done good into the resurrection of life and they that have done evil into the resurrection of damnation. Borrowing the words of Jesus in John 5, verses 28 and 9. You'll notice in light of all those things, Jesus frankly could say, I am the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five. He could, quite frankly, lead us to these appreciations. I ask you to consider very briefly some of those at the bottom. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 and following. The Thessalonian individuals were confused. They were perplexed because there were others teaching various things about the resurrection. And Paul attempted to put their mind at ease. Beginning in verse 13 of that chapter, he very frankly said it before them. The end of time is going to come. And the Lord Jesus shall appear with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Paul believed in a resurrection. The dead are going to rise. Do you believe it? We'd better. Just as surely as we can believe anything else in this book, there is coming. A marvelous time of resurrection because He was raised. He's the guarantee that all of us will be. As you note what's next on that slide, you notice the word hope that factors into this because for those that are prepared and those who've lived righteously and those who have built their life upon the truth of His, death and burial and resurrection, they will rise to that blessedness attached to an eternal life. We noted it a moment ago in John 5, 28 and 29, didn't we? Some will be raised to life. Some will be raised to eternal death. That's more frightful than I want to contemplate. What about you? To think that as bad as it has already been in the Hadean realm, tormented there like the rich man had been, to be raised to hear one final sentence of judgment and to evermore be removed from the very one who died for you and was raised for your justification. Romans 4.25 still says, He was raised for our justification. You and I can live righteously because He was raised, because He was the Son of God, and His gospel is the message He delivered. No wonder as you close that slide, only one final thought. That marvelous hope, of course, surrounds heaven. If you want to go to heaven, it's all built on what comes by virtue of the resurrection. And surely then the last thought of the lesson is a challenge to all of us. A constant reminder of why He came, that being Jesus, why He went to the cross the way He did. But the great reality surrounding the resurrection...
Let's develop it briefly like this. And the reason that this becomes so vital and so essential is because of the sermon that Paul preached in Acts 17. I'd ask you to reflect very briefly on verses 30 and 31 of that chapter. The times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And you and I could often use that verse alone as a strong emphasis upon repentance. But the fact is, the thought wasn't finished. What goes on into the next verse? The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, in that He hath raised Him from the dead. That's breathtaking, isn't it? Paul preached, you've got to repent. You've got to change your life, your mentality, and not live in sin and not live in a way that the devil would encourage you to do. Why, Paul, do I need to repent? Because God, there's a day of judgment coming. Paul, how do I know there's coming a day of judgment? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Just as surely as Jesus was raised from the dead, you're going to stand in judgment. You and me, every one of us. That makes chills run up your spine, doesn't it? No wonder the fact of that resurrection is so vital. No wonder the blessings that can be enjoyed from it are so amazing. As we close this slide, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. The New Testament writers remind us about the judgment and the fact of the Lord's resurrection leading to the certainty of that judgment. You and I individually will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. We will be judged according to the deeds done in our body, whether good or bad. How are you living? And how am I living? Life is not a game. It is not a game. There are many who would like us to believe it is. But Jesus said it is eternally serious. He didn't go to the cross because of a game. And He didn't rise on that Sunday morning because of a game. He rose that you and I might live faithful, that we might be Christians to glorify and honor His cause and kingdom, and that we could leave this life with the hope of living with Him forever. Apart from that, nothing else matters very much at all. May I submit to you in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7, 8, and 9, these words ring in our hearts as we listen one more time to the fate coming to some on that day of judgment. To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. Let's pause right there. You'll notice that vengeance is going to be poured forth upon some. Who, Paul? Those that don't know God and those that haven't obeyed the gospel. Have you obeyed it? Be honest with yourself. Are you constantly obeying it? It is not something just one time to be done. There will be many, apparently on the day of judgment, based on Peter's words, who at one time were baptized, but they haven't lived faithfully. 
they've apostatized or they have fallen away from the faithfulness that God demands of them. Are you and I faithful? Jesus' resurrection is a timeless matter. It will stand and wise men will understand it and they will appreciate it and lift it high. We've looked at the resurrection. We've looked at three aspects. First, it is a fact. Secondly, the blessings that come by virtue of it. Thirdly, the fact it points to judgment. The resurrection of Jesus in many ways is like an arrow that points directly to the day of judgment. Though you and I are living in a period of time between the resurrection and the judgment, everything that we do is based upon the authority inherent in that event. He was declared to be the Son of God with power. Surely at the bottom of that slide, we can now realize that appreciating the resurrection of Christ really is the only way to avoid the wrath of that final day. And you know that spiritually we bring those blessings upon ourselves beginning with our transformation. In the very same way that Jesus died, we die to sin. In the same way that He was buried, the old man's got to be buried in water. Not in dirt, but in water. And the same way that the Lord was resurrected on that Sunday morning, we must be resurrected, Romans 6 verse 5, to newness in life and then to live faithfully till death. So just like He was raised, we spiritually have to be too. And that's the only way we can avoid the second death. Today, as you analyze your life and as I do the same for me, the resurrection is such a pivotal factor. Let's close the lesson and offer our invitation like we so often are want to do because of the needfulness found in it. The resurrection reminds us, of course, of closing our lesson this way. The fact of the resurrection, the features of its blessings. If you want to have eternal blessings, you've got to obey the gospel and be faithful. Those aren't my words, those are His. If you have never obeyed the gospel initially today, let it be the day. I hope your heart's pounding in your chest. I hope you're a bit uneasy. If you've reached an age of knowing wrong from right and you know what's contained in this book, I hope you're a little uneasy at the moment because you need to come down this aisle and you need to let us rejoice and celebrate with you as you put Jesus on in baptism today. You too can be resurrected in a spiritual fashion in comparison to like manner He was resurrected physically. Wouldn't that be grand? If you have become a Christian though at some former day in your life, but at the moment you aren't faithful... You have allowed the resurrection to not be as meaningful to you as it ought to be. Maybe you've forsaken the assemblies. Maybe you've lived in sin. Maybe others are aware of the kind of choices you've made. But you need to realize as long as there's still breath in your lungs and mentality in your thinking, you can make changes. There's no temptation above what you can bear. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, today if we can pray with you, if we could pray for you, we'd be happy to do it. If we could assist you right now in your response to the gospel, we're going to stand and sing this chosen song. Won't you come right now, please? <laughs>